Welcome to the latest Hollywell Trust Conversations podcast. My name is Jared Dean. I work for Hollywell Trust. And as most listeners will know, we are a peace and reconciliation charity. And today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the peace dividend that's come since the Good Friday Agreement. I think the first thing to say really clearly is that the main dividend from peace has been the large absence or the broad absence of violence in this place. That's the thing that we really welcome. But I think it's also fair to say that the economic and social justice lies at the heart of peace and reconciliation. So it's entirely appropriate that in this podcast we reflect on whether our society, especially Derry and the, the wider Northwest, has received the peace dividend in terms of economic change that we would have expected 25 years ago when most people voted yes in the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, how's the form? It's as good as usual, Gerard. Happy days. Brilliant. So, Paul, you've been speaking to a number of people um, discussing the peace dividend question. Who, who are you chatting to? Um, I've interviewed three people for this podcast, Gerard. Uh, the first was uh, Dr. Kira Fitzpatrick of Ulster University. Now, she discusses the poverty and deprivation that continues to blight our region. Uh, I spoke to Garwin Downey of the Derry University Group, who argues that in economic terms, things in Derry are even worse than is generally reported. And I also spoke to Tim Atwood of the John and Pat Hume Peace Foundation. Now, he reports on conversations that is held with young people who have spoken about their frustrations with the state of our society today. OK, so let's start off by listening to Gavin Downey from the Derry University Group, which published a report produced for them by the accountant Cormac Duffy. Uh, yeah, that report concluded that while the, De- uh, the Belfast economy has grown by 14% in real terms, since the Good Friday Agreement, uh, Derry's economy, according to his report, has contracted, got smaller, by 7% in real terms. Mm. Now, those figures, we need to stress, are highly disputed, both by the independent fact-check NI and by Derry City and Strabane District Council. Now, I put that point to Garwin. You've made a very strong case for the economic deprivation of the North West, which I think everyone objectively would, would accept. Didn't you rather over-egg the pudding a bit, though, with the uh, report that you put out on the comparison of economic growth of Derry and Belfast since the Good Friday Agreement? Because FactCheck and I re- uh, described that as inaccurate. They did, and uh, we challenged it. And then FactCheck and I came back to the report's author, a man called Cormac Duffy, who is a specialist in this area. And they said, and after much, much disagreement, well, actually, Cormac, your figures were completely correct within the interpretation that we were giving at that time. They had changed some of the metrics previously, or from 2017 when Cormac had told this report to 2022. So we actually weren't over-egging it at all. We were going on the data that was available at the time. And as yet, to my knowledge, the, uh, the, the up-to-date data hasn't been produced, which is why we're still happy to use those figures. It's, it, it doesn't make for a good reading. I think there is a big, big issue with Derry and we are at the Derry versus Belfast and we're, we're inclined to lose it because if, if we get snippy about numbers as sometimes as sometimes people can, uh, I, I think that you forget that there is an underlying trend here. Belfast is attempting by its own words and by its own, by, by, by its own paper, the Belfast agenda, to establish itself as a nation city and that ultimately means that it will have number one priority on everything, but that doesn't work for other cities within either the north or the island, because ultimately what results is, is that it, it hoovers everything. We're at a situation now where Belfast has, by everybody's figures, 83% of higher education students. And it's just, it's nuts. It doesn't, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, as far as I can see. 
it is so high. So I think that there is a need, an urgent need to get, I, I suppose, government out of Belfast and into the regions. As Cormac Duffy himself recognised in his report, a lot of the statistics in there are related to the income in the city, which is generated to a large extent in the case of Belfast by people commuting in because a lot of the best employment goes to people living in Lisbon and other places on the periphery of Belfast, whereas Derry doesn't have that same commuting economy. Hasn't that disjointed that, that report a bit? I really don't think so, because I, I think what you're looking at is, is that Derry is too far removed from the power base. Derry, and, and, and it's why our council is particularly, I suppose, uh, weakened when it comes to economic development, is, is we are far from the bankers, we are far from the investors, we are far from the, the strategic investors, and we are far from, I, I suppose, the kernels of higher education development, research and development, which would be the universities. We don't, we are, we are too far, we are out of sight and out of mind. And the difficulty with this policy is that this is now a trend going back a full century. And unless it's reversed now, I think you're you're looking at a region that is going to be permanently plated by both deliberate neglect and also, I suppose, targeted discrimination as well. And I, I think that sorry, we believe and we have, we have ultimately uh, urged there is an opportunity now uh, for governments north south and uh and westminster to adopt the the, the royal irish academy uh, report which we believe will go a long way to rectify, uh, rectifying the situation and also as, as 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 indeed do the governments the southern government and, and the form of the shared island unit is already looking at it and not to do it and not to take this opportunity would be would be an extreme neglect I think we can accept, everyone I think has to accept that there's clearly higher levels of deprivation um, and discrimination also uh, against the Northwest generally and Derry in particular, um, because we are clearly in a weaker economic situation than other places. But again, to go back to this point, surely there has been a peace dividend for Derry, even though it's not received as much, because if you look at the unemployment statistics at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, unemployment was 15% in Derry, and now it's 5.6%. So, so clearly, there has been a benefit in terms of increased employment in the city. Again, I bring you back to the figures that, that were just released this week, Paul, where I think if you take the comparative between Derry and Belfast and other areas of the North, Derry is still very, very far behind, and it needs that intervention. I think, again, if you look at Derry and Irish terms as well, which which is uh, also significant because we are a regional hub which takes in uh, a, a lot of the the, 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 the sort of the, the, the southern border counties, you're looking at 3% of the population is in higher education as compared to 18% uh, in our near, nearest neighbour, 25% in Limerick and 27% in Galway. I, I don't think it's enough, Paul. I genuinely, and I think that it, uh, unless there is direct intervention, Derry is going to fall further behind. Okay, so very interesting there from Gerwin. Now, Paul, you, you've made your own assessment of the state of the economy in Derry. Uh, yes, I thought it would be a, uh, useful to provide a, a general snapshot, and I thought a good place to start really is the unemployment figures. Mm. Now, they're not entirely reliable as measures of economic progress, but, but they are significant. At the time of the Good Friday Agreement, the unemployment rate in the Foyle constituency was 15.2%, and the male unemployment rate was 20.7%. 
At that time, it was the seventh worst in the UK, behind Belfast West and several deprived areas of England. Now today, the climate count rate in FOIL is 5.6% and 6.9% for men. Now, the UK rating back in 1998 was 6.3%. Today, it is 3.9%. Sorry for all these stats, but anyway. Uh, So in 1998, the the FOIL rate was around 9% higher than the UK average. Today, it is 1.7% higher. So by those measures of unemployment, Derry has benefited from a peace dividend in terms of job creation. Mm. Now, what we can also say, more negatively, is that Derry continues to lag behind the rest of the UK in terms of employment rate and wealth generation. While the UK had an employment rate of 75% at the end of 2021, it was just 65% in the Derry and Straban council area, according to the official statistics. Now, one of the things that's very noticeable in recent years is how rapidly parts of the economy in Belfast has grown. Analysis by The Economist magazine a few years ago concluded that South Belfast has one of Europe's highest levels of economic output per person living there. Now, that doesn't mean that people living in South Belfast are very rich. Some of them are. Most of them aren't. What it does mean is that there's enormous wealth being generated in South Belfast with a lot of the employees commuting in from Lisburn and elsewhere. Okay, so it's all very well listening statistics, Paul, and uh, we all know how to put down, or know the put down, that there are lies, damn lies and statistics. But we also know that we have terrible levels of poverty and deprivation and dairy, despite uh, what was supposed to be a peace dividend from the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, uh, dairy has much higher levels of deprivation than in the rest of Northern Ireland, uh, apart from parts of Belfast, which have comparable poverty levels and that poverty in both cities is also connected to poor quality of life poor life expectancy and also poor school performance which all leads to lower levels of examination passes and skills now some 38 percent of the population in Derry and Straban are classed as income deprived compared to a Northern Ireland figure of 25 percent so it's 38 percent in Derry 25 percent across the whole of the north Median pay in Derry and Strabane is about 9% below the Northern Ireland median, though the council points out that official statistics indicate that both Derry and Belfast have been catching up with the rest of the UK in terms of median pay and also that Derry has been catching up with Belfast. But the official statistics also state that more than half the children growing up in Derry and Strabane live in areas classed as deprived, while 42% of children locally are eligible for free school meals That compares to just 28% across Northern Ireland as a whole and 22.5% in England. Now, that's an astonishing disparity. In short, and I'm sorry for all the statistics, while Derry has narrowed the gap with the rest of the UK, that gap is still there. If you grow up poor in Derry, your life chances are damaged. It is the lack of progress in narrowing that gap with the rest of the UK that has caused many people to argue that there's not been a real peace dividend for Derry. So let's listen to Dr. Kira Fitzpatrick, who paints a depressing picture of where we are. My feeling is that working class communities are not feeling any sort of a peace dividend at all. In fact, many community workers and other people who are living in working class communities across Northern Ireland and in the Northwest have expressed that things have never been worse than they currently are Um, and this is in the context of uh, avalanche of cuts across education, communities, health, 
that are being forced upon communities in Northern Ireland by the Northern Ireland Secretary of State with the underlay the underlining reason data of it to meet a budget allocation. Um, it's completely unnecessary um, and it seems to be part of a wider uh, political strategy, in my view, to try and get the Northern Ireland executive back in situ. But all it's actually going to do is cause long-term pain and suffering to already deprived communities that are just struggling to really play any role in continuing peace in Northern Ireland. And I think we're seeing that, you know, that fractured peace in places like Newton Ards, where we have a um, serious paramilitary influence there. Um, and it is a deprived community and it's being exploited for many of those reasons. And it's becoming quite hard to manage. And we could see similar situations across Northern Ireland if there is nothing put in place in terms of mitigating the huge deprivation that is going to result from the, cult, the cuts that are going to be made over the next few months. Now, what we have seen, Kira, to be put a positive light on things, is a substantial reduction in unemployment uh, and the claimant count. So is it that we haven't touched deprivation and inequality, but have brought more people who are out of work into well-paid work? Yes, in terms of the unemployment figures, what I would say is that they should always come with a warning flag because what the unemployment figures often hide is the number of people who are in precarious work situations, um, who have maybe zero hour contracts jobs. Yes, they are in employment statistically, but we don't know how well paid that employment is or how, um, how much or sustainable it is for them to have a decent standard of living. Um, and that's what we're seeing increasingly, not just in Northern Ireland, but across the islands in terms of um, more people who are in work or who has somebody in the household who are in work falling into poverty. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that um, those employment figures indicate that more people are in better paid jobs. We have a chronic problem in Northern Ireland with low wages, particularly in the Northwest. Um, and really this is contributing to escalating poverty levels and food bank use for those people who are actually in work. And of course, not to forget the significant percentage of people, and I don't like this phrase myself because I believe that everybody is making a contribution to the economy, whether it is recognised or not, but there are about 28% of people at last count or around that approximately, I'll, 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 I'll keep myself safe, of people who are economically inactive, which means they are currently not in the labour market or they are not looking for work. So that covers a lot of people who ha are disabled, who have care and responsibilities and who aren't able to work because they are too sick at the moment. So that's a 
that's a really, you know, hefty slice of the population who aren't, for whatever reason, able to participate in the formal labour market. And again, that's not really accounted for in the unemployment figures. Now, you talk about low pay, but in the period since 1998, Good Friday Agreement, we've had substantial increases in legal minimum wage. So is it that you're saying that despite that, the cost of living has risen so much that actually that's effectively discounted the increases in the minimum wage? Or are you saying that actually we've got a significant problem of people who are in irregular work patterns that are not affected by the low pay legislation, either because perhaps they're being paid off the books or because they are on zero hours contracts? I think it's a complex web of all of those reasons. Um, Northern Ireland does pay the national minimum wage. We have other employers um, more broadly in Scotland and Wales and England who have become living wage employers, which means that the wages are slightly higher and are better able to meet the costs of living, particularly in the current climate. Um, we, we don't have as many living wage employers in Northern Ireland. We have the lowest proportion across Northern Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales, um, as well as that, you know, the, the, the couple of factors that you mentioned in terms of people working in employment that's not maybe regulated and um, accepting low payment and, um, you know, for for kind of irregular hours, whatever they can can do. Um, and indeed, then we don't have the same number of kind of well-paid jobs as other parts of the UK. Um, and that's why we often see, particularly in the Northwest, in, in Derry and Strabane, um, that brain drain syndrome that is happening where we have really top performing schools in Derry um, top the table uh, in, in, in the league tables in terms of educational attainment. But those students often go off to university and don't come back again because uh, the the levels of wages are not um, meeting their expectations in terms of their educational attainment and their their career goals. I think what we're saying is that for Northern Ireland as a whole, there has been an increase in the proportion of people who are on good wages, high wages often, higher skilled people. But at the same time, we've still got a substantial proportion of people that are very poor and whose incomes don't match their necessary expenditure. But we've got a particular problem in Derry, which is that we've got a disproportionately large number of families that are in low income households. I and mean, what, what do you put that down to? So many factors as to why that is the case. We have the highest numbers of people who are in receipt of disability benefits in Northern Ireland. Um, a significant part of that story is obviously um, running back to the conflict um, and the, the levels of mental health issues, of trauma um, and of uh, really injuries related to the to the conflict that mean that people have a long-term reliance on disability benefits. We already talked about um, the lack of really kind of high-paid jobs in Derry 
um, and just the lack of investment in community infrastructure across the board in terms of all of the different community services that ensure a community is not falling into deprivation. Um, and those all investment in, in that infrastructure provides economic opportunities, it provides jobs, it provides stability. Um, and there's a, a severe lack of that in Derry. Uh, as well as that, you know, we have the logistical reasons as well in terms of the poor transport links to Derry. So there's few people that are sort of traveling, I'd say maybe not few, that's not that that's not fair to say, but um it's more difficult for people to travel in and out of the city um for work um for economic reasons, um, and therefore. We have people who um, are perhaps unemployed and fall into long-term unemployment due to the lack of opportunities around education, skills, training and employment. So, as I say, it's a complex, complex web of issues, but mostly relating back to the legacy of the conflict and then, of course, the lack of investment in infrastructure in the Northwest post-1998. Right, Paul, you mentioned at the beginning that you'd interviewed Tim Atwood of the John and Pat Hume Foundation as well. And Tim spoke recently uh, to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee of the House of Commons about young people's disappointment at the lack of peace Dublin. In fact, that came out of a recent peace summit that the foundation organised with ourselves and the Hollywell Trust as one of the partners. Yeah, at the peace summit, uh, one young person said, the conflict was not the problem, the peace is because in so many places they did not see a peace dividend. And some young people from loyalist areas spoke at the peace summit of returning to conflict because of their frustration at the lack of a peace dividend. Okay, well, let's listen to what Tom had to say. It was very important this year that we played a role in terms of looking uh, where we are and where we need to go. So, as you know, we had the, the peace summit over the last six months, uh, the consultation in Derry in March, and then we launched the report on the uh, last Wednesday, um, and that's a call to action because you know we've had we have relative peace, but clearly the benefits of that peace do not they they they, they do drop very slowly to those areas that are most marginalised and uh, and vulnerable, and we see that uh, with the indices of deprivation and uh, investment factors that we see um, uh, that come out regularly and. Uh, you know, so we have moved a long way, but still, the we need to finish the job in terms of reconciliations. So, as we said in our report, it's the unfinished business of reconciliation. And equally, then we have been involved in the partnership with the Royal Irish Academy, um, uh, both last year and earlier this week, to look at uh, regional policy because you know John Hume, you know both uh, you know representing Foyle and the Northwest region. But equally, in, in, as a member of the European Parliament, I was saying the other day, 1987, John was part of the Regional Policy Committee that uh, developed the paper around, um, you know, what the role and the greater role the Commission could play in terms of tactical re regional inequalities. And unfortunately, some of those factors, whether it's in Ireland in terms of the regions or in terms of um, European Union and the regions, still there's a lot of work to be done. So it was important to reflect, uh, you know, in October which and, and, and earlier this week, which was around higher education and the deficiencies there and 
we can go into that in more detail, but it, it's part of that narrative that we need to um, break that, uh, fill that gap in terms of investment in, in, in Derry, in the Northwest, the greater Northwest of Ireland, but also border regions as well generally that have not um, benefit as greatly as they should from uh, the relative peace that we have. Now, you mentioned, Tim, uh, the Peace Summit and, and the Hollywell Trust was one of the partners in that. Uh, what were young people saying in the, in the Peace Summit about the quality of our peace and what they were unhappy about? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it was a very interesting process because originally we planned to have an event and we bring, bring people there and and so, and then we say that's not just good enough. So we decided it needed to be a process of of deep engagement, and all the partners, including Hollywell Trust, who did the citizens jury type event, um, Youth Action and I, who reached a, a lot of younger people and harder to reach young people, Community Dialogue ourselves, also University, um, an integrated educational fund. Um, you know, it meant that we were able to reach I think over seven hundred people, but especially the young people. And I suppose generally what I find, especially on the 3rd of March, that, you know, it's very easy, um, given the, the state of politics here, and that, you know, the, the, the quiet peacemakers, those who've kept the peace on the ground uh, over the last 40 years, you know, you would think that people are exhausted um, by the reconciliation process. They're exhausted because they still have to continue that work today that there would have been much more negativity about the future and a lack of drive and positivity to tackle some of the problems of this day. And it was the exact opposite. The, the consultations um, with young people on the 3rd of March in McGee in a very busy room and a very active, dynamic conversation, people were up for the conversation. They wanted more of those conversations because they recognised that the, some of the strategies around from the executive haven't got to the heart of the matter and you need to listen to those who are experienced uh, peacemakers uh, good relations workers community activists and younger people who have a future so th 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 there was a unrelenting positivity from young people which was a surprise to me and not, that's not to say in some of the places where we went uh, uh, you know especially in belfast there were some young people from a loyalist background who uh, you know, would have said we want to go back um, to the gun and, the, and, and and violence because they didn't see uh, politics or the, the system work with it. But they were um, a minority. The vast majority of young people who were involved in a quite a dynamic engagement process were positive about the future. They were very frustrated by the lack of political progress and that, that, that they, they saw politicians uh, when assembly was even working, out of touch, um, and you know there was there was there was uh, I think there was one participant said uh, they're not changing their future, they're changing ours, and they didn't feel that the 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 politicians and political representatives were um, recognised that you know it's the, it's the future of young people, and we need their support in redesigning it. So despite the challenges politically. Despite the, the deficiencies in terms of benefits, um, and especially in terms of jobs and opportunities for young people, there was a, a positivity that people wanted to engage, wanted the, 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 the institutions up and running, but they wanted it to work better. So at the heart of it, we have a political process 
that isn't working. We have divisions within our community that are not being healed in terms of people not learning together, not being educated, not socializing together. And thirdly, we've got a core of deprivation that has not been tackled despite the Good Friday Agreement and all the promises that have been made. Is, is that the, the heart of where we are in terms of difficulties, Tim? That's, a, that's quite a good summary. Um, but again, as I said, the debate wasn't a negative one. It was a positive one. They, they were critical of politicians, but they wanted to play, whether it was the peacemakers who've been around for a long time or the young people wanted to play a constructive, engaged role in, in developing the leadership. And in the, you know, there's talk of an inclusive peace plan from the bottom up because you know, there's a, there's a concern that a lot of the time the strategies around TBUC and from the executive office and from the executive generally were top down. They were all about outputs. Um, you know, um, you know, a tick box exercise that you had so many people coming together um, in, in cross community initiative. It has to be deeper and more meaningful for that. And people wanted to um, be engaged in that, and they wanted. Um, you know, the, the, the political leaders to recognise that. And they do want a, a vehicle um, for uh, youth participation and for, you know, the Civic Forum, you know, was, was people saw its flaws, but they wanted uh, the Citizens' Assembly, they saw opportunities for greater engagement where, you know, co-design is not the right word, people are tired of that word, but where they um, are the real partners in moving the process uh, forward. I, I would suggest that in Derry, the biggest of the challenges is the continuing deprivation and economic disadvantage. Has there been conversations within that peace summit about how to address those specific challenges that Derry is facing? So again, I think that's, you know, that that is well made, you know, um, it, it, it goes to the heart of the matter. You know, John was always a great believer that you had to give uh, people hope. Um, and, uh, you know, he saw the benefits of peace and prosperity, that if you can create jobs, and that was in you know, darker and difficult days, that you might give people a better route uh, to the future. But it's clear, you know, and uh, some of the figures that were um, uh, projected uh, by some of the speakers on, on, on in Derry at the Royal Irish Academy event with us on, on uh, higher education and regional inequalities highlighted that. Those, you know, it doesn't matter whether it is Belfast or Derry or rural area, those uh, district electoral areas that have suffered the most um, and have had the highest levels of deprivation and unemployment, they, they, they rarely shift in terms over the last 50 years. And there has to be greater focus because, you know, that's where you have to give young people hope. You know, if, if you're living in an area of disadvantage and need, then your 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 vision is, is much less. So you have to give them a pathway um, uh, through education, the opportunity for further an education opportunities, uh, uh, the leadership that's required there. Uh, you know, a pathway that they can say there is there, there there's op wider opportunities for me. So it really does go the heart of the matter. Yeah, we we know that uh, with the the uh, from COVID the cost of living. Um, the poverty, uh, and now the additional cutbacks, that's going to be a really tough ask. So, you know, you, you really do need 
um, greater political leadership to tackle it. And you know the the you know the, the regional inequalities are just so great in terms of um, Belfast and uh, the Greater Northwest. I think in the previous meeting, you know, one of the speakers um, spoke about it's like seventy-one percent of funding for higher education goes into Belfast, and that is completely at odds with what happens in Wales, in Scotland, or even down south in terms of the balance of uh, of investment in higher education in terms of the capital cities and other major um, uh, uh, you know major cities outside of the capital. That is, you know, that's that's you know that just needs leadership, um, political leadership. But at the same time, that hasn't shifted the problems of deprivation within Belfast because you still have very high levels of deprivation, in particular in West Belfast, but also in North Belfast. So it, we need to do something differently. It's not simply a matter of Derry versus Belfast. It's the fact that we need to do something that seriously changes the dynamics so that the parts of our society that have been deprived for the last 50 years are not going to be deprived in the future. Yeah, no, and I made the point the other day, Paul, at the round table discussion, you know, as, a, as, a, as a council of representative of West Belfast for 15 years, you know, people always say Belfast got everything and Derry didn't get anything, and there's, you know, real truth to that. But equally, the argument about the Falls and Shankill is the same. It may be in Belfast, it may not be, um, you know, it's, it's minutes from the city centre, but the, the bias in terms of investment, the bias in terms of uh, creating opportunities, it might as well be 100 miles from the, the Belfast city centre because the agencies, uh, whether it's Invest NI, the Department of the Economy, um, uh, and wider, uh, even sometimes council, um, they, they don't see, um, they don't give it the priority that it deserves. So you can't be, um, in uh, parts of Belfast, which are getting the the, the investment, there's thirty thousand tech jobs in Belfast. But I remember when we were building the innovation factory on the Springfield site, the site where Mackey's was, when President Clinton came for the first time, and that was, you know, they had its problems, but you know, they had a, a sizable cross-community workforce. Uh, 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 you know, it, it, there was many people in in in. Um, investment side of things oh no you can't put it there it's too far outside the city center like it's five minutes in a car so there is there's that there is that culture within uh, investment agencies and within government that see um they don't see beyond the city center they're, they're they stay comfortable with that and you know that applies very but equally applies to parts of Belfast. the government has to deliver more effectively um uh, and that's in, in, in terms of all the matters we but if you're going to give people hope then there needs to be a more uh, strategic uh, collective um, decision making process and need and courageous leadership processes around that as well that say that we have to invest because you know it doesn't matter whether it's the falls or shankle or the bog or parts of the waterside there is um you know there's there, there's people who have suffered uh, generational disadvantage and unemployment and that's just uh, that's a terrible indictment of our political process. Okay, that was very instructive. But Paul, in the last few days, there's been an important conference held in Derry. This looked at the relationship between the presence of a university, those high skill levels, and our local prosperity in Derry. 
can you tell us a wee bit more about the key presentation at the conference? Yeah, that key presentation was from John Daly, who is Senior Economist at the Northern and Western Regional Assembly. In his presentation, John pointed out that the Derry and Strabane district has a lower disposable income of any council area in Northern Ireland, more than 10% below the Northern Ireland average, and that as a percentage of the Northern Ireland average, it has fallen compared to where it was in the period 2010 to 2014. We all know, of course, that Derry and Strabane has the highest unemployment rate in Northern Ireland, but the worst figures of all are around the district skills and qualifications. We have the highest proportion the highest percentage of adults with very weak employment skills and one of the lowest percentages of adults with a university degree, despite having a university in the city. Mm. Now, John's recommendation for the strengthening of the regional Derry-Donegal economy is to expand the McGee campus and also the Republic's Atlantic Technological University while promoting relevant research at the institutions and to use these factors to promote the expansion of businesses locally in these high-tech clusters. Okay, well, that's a task, <laughs> and here's hoping that we we manage to, to achieve that. So thanks to Kira, Gervin, and Tim for their contributions, as well as John Daly for supplying us with a copy of his presentation. Thanks too to Paul, as always, for his research and interviews, and to Michael for uh, pulling this together and editing the, the episode. So that's it for this latest episode. Thanks as ever to the Community Relations Council for their sponsorship of this podcast series. You can catch up with all previous episodes on our website and we'll talk to you all again soon.